I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you will hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. What is happening, everybody? This is Bob Wankel, joined by a very special guest host tonight, recording here on a Sunday night. Hopefully this thing drops on Monday morning, new week, new week of Phillies baseball. I'm joined by Russ Joy, the king of podcasts in the city of Philadelphia. You may know Russ Joy from his time on Crossing Broadcast, that glorious podcast back in the day. Uh, I don't think a new episode of that one has dropped in what, about two and a half, three months now? Uh, it was at early stages of the pandemic, but also, of course, more well-known for his work on Snow the Goalie, the only Flyers podcast. Russ, what's up? Thanks for joining us, uh, or joining me, I should say, with Anthony having a prior obligation. We wanted to uh, get a new episode out, so I appreciate you jumping on, man. That guy, man, I'll tell you, Anthony Sanfilippo, it's like the co-host of Sanfilippo. It's like we're the Sanfilipp bros or something, you and I. Um, well, thanks for having me. Really looking forward to it. Yeah, Crossing Broadcast, I believe, actually came down with COVID, hasn't really recorded since the pandemic. And um, yes, yeah, so the goal of the Only Flyers podcast. I've been told that Crossed Up is arguably the only Phillies podcast worth listening to. I, I can't confirm. I don't, I don't live in specifically the Phillies-only uh, circles, but... Boy, I'll tell you some some real guests: Brett Myers, Jim Eisenreich. I mean, come on now, this is yeah, we're trying to mix this. in a little uh, credibility. I would not say that we are the only Phillies podcast worth listening to. Uh, we actually, obviously, have some friends uh, in the industry that run their own podcasts that we like a lot. So I'm not going to go there. I'm not there yet. We're not at your level of dominance, but we're working on it. You know, making some progress. You know, very exciting. And listen, baseball's back, and I know that. Uh, you're excited about it. I was rooting for the death of baseball and, um, I'm just kidding. Well, you almost got it and, uh, almost got it. Listen, there are, there are so many exciting things to think about and I'm looking forward to, uh, to talking with you about them, but I have to point out, and I, I feel terrible about this and like, uh, hopefully people don't shut the show off for this, but like Didi Gregorius, I, for whatever reason, I think it's because it's been so long since baseball has been a focal point of my like daily routine of caring. I forgot that Didi Gregorius is a Philadelphia Philly. And for some reason, that one realization at like 5.30 this morning was enough to have me like ready to run through a wall for Joe Girardi. I don't know what it is. Like I'm all in on the Phillies now just because of Didi. Gregorius' existence is is what's got you fired up. Not Bryce Harper, not not Zach Wheeler, none of that. Bryce is lovely. Zach might not show up. Andrew McCutcheon is a real gem. By the way, I saw you were putting out the video over on your Twitter feed and Instagram and over on Crossing Broad and both of those platforms as well. Uh, I think the real key for you is to just become the shadow for uh, Andrew McCutcheon because there is so much good video content that can be done specifically around him. I wouldn't even worry about the rest of the team. The man is living, breathing content. He is content at all times. Yes, I, I do agree with that. So, listen, there's a lot that has happened here uh, in the first few days of the reboot of baseball, summer camp, spring training 2.0, whatever you want to call it. And uh, 
a lot of it really doesn't have to do with baseball. Um, I, I was excited for Friday afternoon, Friday morning, getting to the stadium and finally seeing baseball players play baseball. I thought that that might be the storyline, like who looked good, who didn't. And I, I guess I was fooling myself because the story and the narrative at the start here is COVID-19 and the complications and impact of this virus on the sport. And I think that's going to be the narrative across all sports as they uh, begin to get underway here in the coming weeks. For the Phillies specifically, uh, we see that it has had a profound impact on this team. And we can talk about what it means for the roster moving forward, how it may impact the team's performance. Should we evaluate the Phillies and any team in any sport like we usually would given the reality of this situation And so there's so many different things to talk about. And, of course, we will focus a little bit on the actual baseball side of things, too. But uh, just a ton of news to kind of run through here at the start. And I guess for me, Russ, it starts with Zach Wheeler. And if you're listening to this on Monday morning, I think Zach Wheeler is going to be the, the headline story as we enter the week. He talked to reporters after today's workout. And as you may know, uh, his wife is pregnant and is expecting to give birth uh, sometime in late July, which coincides with the start of the season. So it is more than feasible that Zach Wheeler could miss his first start with the Phillies. Uh, and so he talked a little bit today about the decision and the process that he went through in deciding to play. And he was very honest and very blunt about it. And he basically admitted that he was not so sure that he was going to arrive. He didn't know what to expect upon arrival. And he even said, though he expects to be here at the start, that once his child's born, he's not sure how he's going to progress. So what was your reaction to that? And what's your take? I mean, there are a lot of different levels to this. So if Zach Wheeler doesn't, doesn't pitch, if he doesn't play, uh, the the Phillies already, I wouldn't say a bleak outlook, but they're, they're not great outlook of winning the division or becoming a legitimate playoff contender takes an even bigger hit. It comes back to why it's once again such a failure uh, at the, the you know, front office level that this team doesn't have enough quality starting pitching that you can overcome something like this. We still don't know what Jake Arrieta is going to be. And God forbid you look at the back end of the rotation. And, and if somehow we end up with, uh, you know, the Vinny Velasquez, uh, I, I don't even know. Like he can't even get his special. You like, don't want to do a Nick Pavetta and Vince Velasquez. No, you're not you interested like, in that again. Cause like, then you're not even getting Vince Velasquez for like four and a third innings. Like w- given the post COVID, like, is it going to be like a one and two thirds innings is going to be like the new Vinny Velasquez. So like there, there's that part of it. Um, when it comes to like the birth of his child, like this is a thing, like we just had our, our third kid um, back in May. Yeah, it was May. Uh, and that time has flown. And, and I think like a lot of people, you know, if you're not a parent, you don't totally grasp the concept. You hear it and you're like, all right, what was it? Uh, was it Jimmy? Was it Jose Reyes? There was somebody like four years ago that, that took time for paternity leave. And it was this whole big deal where like the entire sport, it was just kind of like this polarizing discussion, even at like the national level where it was like, you know, do these guys really deserve paternity leave? Do you really have to be there? And it's like, first time parents second third if it's your sixth or seventh kid it doesn't matter like you're bringing life into the world and and you should be there as a parent like you know i i don't even think he should be reporting until well after the birth of his child and i know that it's not a good scenario for the phillies it really does put them behind the eight ball but like that is a thing that that really has to supersede any kind of professional involvement 
So do you think he's there? He's, he's there for the start. He's, he's trying to build up his arm strength. He wants to be there ready to go up until the time his wife gives birth, if, if all goes according to plan. Your assessment of this is if it were you, you wouldn't be there, period, until she What's, actually had the child. When she do? They're looking at the, I believe, last week of July right now is the target date. Yeah, he should be there. About three or four weeks out. Yeah, it's, it's, it's actually kind of asinine for him to be there. Because if you, if you take this from a more macro view, Every league that has been working to get back into some semblance of normalcy with sports, whether it's the NHL that had multiple COVID cases, they're not in full lockdowns or hubs yet. It's happened. MLS is on the brink of potentially having to cancel their restart because there have been so many players on specific teams like Dallas and now Nashville's had a small outbreak within their camp. Uh, what was it? Baseball had what? 38 people that tested positive out of 3156 or something like that. Yeah, I mean, the Phillies specifically still, have had numerous cases, both, you know, obviously we don't know specifically who we can only speculate, but between player and staff. So, I mean, it's something that has hit close to this organization in particular. To me, it's like, you, you can't be there. So she's due the last week of July, figure the 14 day quarantine or a quarantine period, right? That he would have to go through. He shouldn't be with the team. I mean, that's just me because do you want to be there for the birth of your child? I can tell you that like if, if you go into most hospitals right now as the father, they're going to go through the, the basics of um, doing your temperature check. You have to wear a mask the entire time that you're in the hospital, which really sucks, by the way. It's very different from you know the, the first two kids that, that we had. Uh, the concept of having to wear the mask. The mom gets COVID tested. There's an entire possibility, depending on the hospital system, that she's going to have to wear a mask through labor and childbirth. Bob, you're not there yet, but you know, at some point, <laughs> probably will be. So, like, these are are really stressful times. And the the concept of like in those final weeks where it gets really painful, really awful for the mom, like for him not to be there, like that's a problem, sort of, like on on the maybe on the marriage side. But like the bigger issue is. What if he contracts the illness a week out from the birth of his child? He can't be there, right? right? And, 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 think, and by the way, that means that the first week after the birth of the child, he can't hold his kid. And he can't, in good conscience, go anywhere near anyone in his family for those, those really massively impactful weeks. And then, like, what's, what's the cutoff after that? Is it the first week? Is it he gets to spend a week after? You know what I mean? Like, then you're into August. Then is it worth it? Like, what does that regimen look like? There's no minor league system to work your way back up through a rehab regimen. Like, this is an issue. You know what I mean? Like, it, it's not yeah, I think it illustrates here, the, the delicate nature of the situation. And he talked about it. And like I said, he was very upfront about it. He said, I don't know. You know, right now I'm, I'm pretty pleased with how safe it feels, but that could change. He said he wants to have a, a discussion with the organization. Hasn't really done so yet. But he figures even optimistically, like if all goes according to plan, he's probably going to miss two starts. When she gives birth, he'll leave. He'll have to spend a couple of days away from the team, spend a couple of days with his family, obviously. Then he's going to need to kind of throw a couple of times, throw maybe a bullpen or two, and then possibly be ready to go. So in the best case scenario right now, I think that you can pencil in Zach Wheeler for 10 starts. If you go 60 games, five starters, each guy is going to get about 12 starts. Subtract a couple right off the bat, you're getting, you know, like 10 starts out of Zach Wheeler this season, in the, in the regular season at least. And then – you know, and this is something I think I want to say now. I want to drop this disclaimer in right at the start of the show because it's it's really just – and this isn't to make it about the writers or make it about the media. That, that's not what, how I want to come across here. But it's so weird to talk about baseball and try to talk about performance and how games are going to be won and lost and how the division's going to shake out. 
under the backdrop of a pandemic. Like you're, I, I think you and I are both on the same page. Like coronavirus is real. COVID-19 is, is, is a problem. And, you know, I don't want to seem insensitive to the reality of, of the world right now, but this is a baseball show. We're trying to navigate the human element, what the players are dealing with and what that might actually mean on the field. So I do want to start by saying that. That being said, if you lose Zach Wheeler for, for two starts, best case scenario, now you don't have Aaron Nolan in camp right now. And we don't know exactly what's going on. There's obvious speculation surrounding him and, and his whereabouts at this point. We just know he's not with the team. Um, he, could, he could have uh, COVID-19. He could have been around somebody that had COVID-19. He could have been around someone who was around someone that had it. And Joe Girardi basically said as much. He said, try not to assume – that just because we can't disclose information about a player, that means he's tested positive. But this is just kind of the, the nature of, of what we have to do. So all I know is that Aaron Nola is not there. Pure speculation on my part, putting it all together, listening to players talk about the challenges of revving back up and being ready to go in time for July 24th. I'm not so sure that Aaron Nola is going to be ready for the start of the season, even if he shows up on Tuesday morning. And now you're taking away your top two starters – Right off the bat, potentially. And, and I don't know too many teams that are going to be able to withstand that type of absence. If the Phillies got 25 starts out of those two guys, I'd tell you that there's a chance. But if that number drops to 15, 17, 18, oh boy, that's a, that's a hell of a mountain that they're going to have to climb. So it's, it's times like these. You almost wish you had a guy like Sixto Sanchez who could come in and immediately <laughs> solidify, you know, the, uh, the top to middle of the rotation. Oh, uh, I don't know. But, I mean, but it's okay. You know, it's okay, Bob, because you at least have signed a long-term deal with the best catcher in baseball. Oh wait, that's right. You haven't. That's great. Cause that's not going to be a cloud. That's yeah. still, you know, that's not something that's also looming over this organization. It's fine. It's fine. Right. So, so let me, let me ask you this. Um, and we can talk about this in more of a general matter. How do you evaluate player performance and how do you evaluate front offices in light of, of what we're dealing with? And, and I think that baseball is a little bit unique in that it's the start of the season. It's a 60-game season to begin with. It, it wasn't the full 162, so that's going to create a little bit more parity. It's going to create a little bit more wackiness in the season as it is. Mm -hmm. But we're, I equate the coronavirus in a way to a, a shallow fly ball that goes out into the outfield and your third baseman, shortstop, and left fielder all converge and then boom, your two, four, and six hitters are out of the lineup. Like GMs can't prepare for that. And, and I'm the first to clobber Matt Clentak and Andy McPhail, you know, for, for their shortcomings and, and really their inability to develop. And, and they haven't done as much as I thought that they should have done over the last two years. But I'm a little bit unsure how to progress in terms of evaluating A, player performance, and B, uh, the performance of a team and, and how a team was constructed in light of what we're about to deal with here. So I think part of it comes down to there being a, a need to look at the things that the numbers can't measure. So you're going to be talking about like gamers and heart, right? So if you're a guy who's going to be a free agent after this season, you're obviously not going to have the numbers that you would have otherwise had. And that's going to probably skew the market. I think next, the, the next off season in terms of free agency is going to be a mess, right? Because nobody's going to know how to set the market because you're right. Like a guy who might be a 35 home run a year guy, if he only goes that and hits seven and 60 games like what does that mean does that mean that he's you know no longer the hitter that he once was does that mean that the power has now dissipated it's really hard to figure out but what you do find out is how much a guy cares about the game of baseball and how hard he's worked 
during the entire quarantine period and how ready he is to go on day one. That's like the kind of like uh, intangible that you don't necessarily see on a stat sheet that might kind of weigh on the minds of GMs. I do agree with you to the, you know, the effect that like you can't as a GM plan on something like this happening. I do think that it once again kind of puts a, uh, a spotlight on the lack of depth that this team tends to have or has tended to have under Matt, Matt Klintak as the GM. I mean, again, like you don't expect there to be a sizable portion of your season where you're going to miss your top two pitchers in Zach Wheeler and, and Aaron Nola. I get it. But again, like you have such paltry options from four and five and such an unknown with Jake Arrieta at, at the third spot in this rotation that like, if you even fill out a somewhat respectable rotation, you should be able to get through maybe two, three turns without those guys and weather the storm right now. There's really not much to, to look at, right? Because if Jake Arrieta goes out and like, let's say that he's even a somewhat respectable pitcher to start the season. What does that look like? Again, without there being a full spring training ahead of this, uh, ahead of this abbreviated season, is, is five innings a successful outing for a starting pitcher in their first game? Do you pull yes. them out? Do you, do you, I, so, I would tell you that based on, based on what guys have been saying, that some of them are going to be further along than others. I think that from game one, there will be certain players that can go out and toss 85, 90 pitches. But I do think that a lot of them will be kind of put on that 60-pitch limit. Um, and, and as far as Jake Arrieta goes, yeah, I, I think that if you can get five innings, two runs out of Jake Arrieta, uh, especially early on in the season, you probably sign up for that. So then let's, let's even take this a little bit further then. Your fourth and fifth pitchers, are you also hoping that they're going to go about five innings? Are they going to go four? And by the way, what's the other problem here, Bob? The bullpen. You, the bullpen. Yeah. <laughs> so it's not even like it's not even like you have a couple of horses that you could put at the top of this rotation, assuming that Nola and Wheeler are out. You can't even put in a guy who's good enough to go out there and even get you five respectable innings that you can that you can kind of plan on right now. Like right now, it feels like the likelihood of you rolling out a Nick Pavetta or a Vince Velasquez and them getting blown up after three innings, but Joe Girardi looking at his bullpen and saying, the options ain't that much better anyway. This guy's ERA is just going to go through the, like go in the crapper. Like you might have to do that. And at that point, you know, I think you can kind of look at the GM and say, Hey man, you can't just address the top two, one that you inherited and one that you signed. Like you, you've got to look at this back end, right? It's not, it's it's not an acceptable way to go into a season. And I, it, I agree with that. I agree with that. But like in a 162 game schedule, I, I would be all over him for, hey, are we really doing in this five spot? Nick Pavetta, Vince Velasquez. Are we are we going Arietta, Eflin, Velasquez to fill out our rotation? But this being the situation, and again, maybe Zach Wheeler does, uh, you know, take the ball the first two times through the rotation. Maybe Aaron Nola is ready on time. Like, we are speculating here, and, and mm-hmm. unfortunately, that's all we can really do with the information that we have at our disposal. But I just – I don't know how I I condemn a GM or a front office for, for this situation. Like, take a look at the Washington Nationals. Let's remove Max Scherzer and Steven Strasburg out of their rotation it's a very ordinary rotation at that point. You go around baseball, take the first two guys out of the equation in any capacity for any meaningful amount of time. And those teams are going to struggle. And right now, this is the reality the Phillies face. This thing could, this is a roller coaster. This thing is evolving by the moment. I mean, a week from now, there could be a team in way worse position than the Phillies. And so not only that, not only how are we evaluating these front offices, but I look at it. How do you evaluate players? Like, how do you do your job on a, on a normal basis? Like I was at the ballpark on Friday 
and it was it was an experience it was just different you know you come in you, there's there's guys that you're used to seeing that you want to talk up a little bit but you're keeping your distance from them everyone's got their masks on you're doing a facial scan for your temperature to be admitted into the park into the press box guys are talking to one another but they're also trying to do that dance where they're, they're staying away from one another somebody coughs a few feet away from you and you wonder like hey is is that person are they okay am i okay yeah. now and like, you know, not to say that I couldn't sit down and tweet and write and do my job. It didn't have that profound of an impact on me. But I do wonder if you're a player, you know, I just don't know. Are you going to be dialed in at all times? Like once you get out on the field and you step in the batter's box, are you 100% focused? If you're that pitcher and it's 0-2 in the seventh inning and you're holding a one nothing lead, are you going to execute that pitch? Or are you going to be in the back of your mind just a little bit nervous, just a little bit worried that you saw someone earlier in the day that coughed and you were only three feet away from them? And like, can I as a writer, as a media guy, or can fans look at those players and say, I can't believe that guy hung that pitch in that spot. Like, it's not like any other year. You know, I'd be the first to be critical of guys not doing their job, but like in light of the reality and the seriousness of this situation, I don't know that I feel comfortable not covering the games. It's not that, but I don't know how comfortable I feel being overly critical of players in light of the situation. So there are a couple of ways to look at it. One would be saying you're a professional athlete, you're getting paid millions of dollars, buck up and do it, right? And succeed. Now, there is kind of, I think, the human element here in, in terms of like the actual in-stadium feeling for these guys because, you know, you hear players in every sport talk about the idea of, of focusing in, of, of, you know, knocking the, uh, the sound out. You kind of get tunnel vision and, and you get yourself focused on the task at hand and you're not really listening for the crowd. You're not you know, uh, hearing the obscenities being hurled at you by the opposing team's fans, fine. Let's see if it's true. Like, let's see in an empty stadium how baseball players do. I can tell you that in pr practically every league uh, in Europe right now, in, in soccer, in the Bundesliga, La Liga, Serie A, and the EPL, those players have all talked about the weird experience it is to go out in front of a stadium of tens of thousands of seats where all you hear is what's on the field, you hear the coaches, you can even hear, you know, the stadium staff is there talking off on the sidelines. And that is a very strange, you know, situation to be in if you're a player. I mean, even as a fan, it's weird. You know, some of those leagues didn't pipe in the virtual crowd sound, which meant that you were hearing practically what those guys were hearing on the pitch. If you are a professional baseball player and you're a guy who typically you know, looks for the sound of your music hitting and the reaction from the crowd, the visceral reaction when you succeed at a, an opposing uh, team's park, or you're a guy who really needs that, that pick-me-up from the home crowd to feel the electricity, to feel the momentum turn, and, and it's being you know, put out there in, in the arena or the stadium just by virtue of the tens of thousands of people reacting to it in, in real time, and now all of a sudden it's gone, it's going to change it. Even look at UFC fighters. You know, oh, yeah. you see, you see a yeah. difference in the way that MMA fighters have gone about their fights because so often a guy will get, or a woman, you know, like um, they'll they'll get pulled into the idea of like the crowd is on it. 
they're on you. You're getting to that moment where it feels like, you know, you land a significant punch and like maybe in a closed, uh, a closed workout, you're not going to go in for the, the finishing blow there. You're, you know that it's not a smart tactical move for you, but because you're rolling with the crowd, you're thinking that the opponent probably is also hearing that and is now kind of staggered. And then you go in to finish it off when you're in an empty stadium or an empty arena like UFC has been, there's been a distinct difference in the way that some of these fighters have gone about it because they don't have that reaction from the crowd that kind of leads them to, to see or to feel what tens of thousands of other people around them see and feel and watch on the Jumbotron. Like that part's missing. And that's a human element. There, there is that, that motivation, that intrinsic motivation, that extrinsic motivation. Like those things aren't going to line up here. And it is going to be interesting to see for, those, for these players. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. I look at it too, and I think about other jobs. Like, so everyone always says you can't compare pro sports to, to everyday people and you, or professional athletes to everyday people. You can't, uh, you know, compare pro sports to regular jobs. But like, if you're a teacher right now and you go into a classroom in September and this is still a thing, is that on your mind as you're teaching when you say, hey, kids, today we're going to learn about uh, the, you know, Revolutionary War or, you know, we're going to learn about uh, multiplying fractions or whatever it is you teach, right? Like, can you do that? Like, can you, can you just focus in on it? My guess is that most teachers can and will. But in the back of their minds, are they going to be looking at that kid that has the sniffles? Are they going to be looking at the kid that has the cough and going, ooh, uh, you know, and I'm sure that schools are going to do the best they can in order to, to socially distance and, and follow procedures and protocols. But like in the back of your mind, like that's got to be there. Think about the people that have worked in grocery stores for the last three months. You know, I'm sure that that there are varying degrees to which people are concerned about this virus. Some people think it's a hoax. Some people think it's not a real thing. I'm, I happen to be on the other end of the spectrum. I think it's very much a, a real thing and extremely dangerous. You know, what kind of toll does that take on you as you're doing your job? Like you're punching in your numbers, you're swiping, uh, you know, people's items and you're thinking, I hope I don't get sick. And like, that has to take a, a huge toll on people. And so I look at everyday workers and then I, I think this is one of the rare cases where you can in a way – compare professional athletes to the everyday job in that it's it is a reality like there I'm sure some players at cross baseball that that still think in light of of multiple players testing positive most of them probably are asymptomatic don't really have significant symptoms so I'm sure that there's a, a variety of players across the game that go this isn't really that big of a deal whatever but I am sure that there are several players that are extremely nervous about what they're about to embark upon and I do wonder what impact that will have on their performance and I wonder you know not just physically not just did I did I get the job done or not on the field but psychologically mentally emotionally that has to take a toll and it has to in the long run have some type of impact yeah i mean i think it is hard to make that comparison though like i think it's more likely that a player is going to get in their own head about it before the game and after the game as they're transitioning from the locker room or whatever the setup is going to be with baseball to the team chartered bus to the chartered private flight 
to the next airport, dealing with those staffs, getting to wherever they're going to go to whatever hotel, whatever facility, like that I think is where the, those ideas creep into your mind. I think like once you're actually out on the field, it's a little bit different, you know, like the, the comparison to like the grocery store worker, like, I don't know if, if you're standing there and, and you're bagging groceries or you're working as a cashier, like obviously you're going to be looking for any kind of signs of things that you would be worried about, like somebody sneezing, somebody coughing, right? You're probably going to go about the way that you, that you deal with their groceries a little bit differently. You're probably going to take the time to double, triple disinfect your, uh, your register uh, after they move on. But like you're doing your job expected to do. You might beforehand, you might freak out afterwards, but like, that's what you do. The teacher thing. I don't know if only you and I knew a couple of teachers, but like there, there's like, there, there is a real concern. I mean, I think any kind of job that you're going to go into, there is going to be that thought in the back of your mind as you go into work. But I think once you're actually there, I don't know how you are with your job, but like the, the mental space that I'm in, as I'm listening to podcasts on double speed, driving into work, the second I get into what I do, I forget about everything else. I try not to think about anything else. I try not to think about bills that need to get paid. I try not to think about, I know this sounds horrible, but I try not to think about like my wife or my kids that I'm not with <laughs> for the entire day yeah. because it kind of makes me sad. So like you try to focus in on what you do. You try to focus in on the interactions that you have with coworkers yeah, and, you, you can and with everyone else sure. and you can do that. And so I think like, on the athlete side of things, I think it is very similar. I mean, the only way that maybe you get out of that mental headspace is, you know, you slide into second base and like you take out the shortstop and now he's, he's on top of you. And now you're like, all right, we're both breathing in each other's faces, right? Let's hope, let's hope everything's okay. But otherwise, like I, you know, maybe it's, maybe it's stupid on my part, but like I look at baseball and the way that you can, socially distanced just by virtue of where you stand on the field and like this isn't nearly as much of a contact sport in terms of like being up in the face of so many people that you don't want to be or that you wouldn't be around anyway but like to me baseball isn't even close in terms of like a sport that i'd be concerned with right but hockey i'd be concerned with basketball i'd be concerned with you are physically up against people for the better part of of the entire game or your entire time on the court or on the ice and you're in a closed arena baseball you're you're in an open air stadium and the likelihood of you coming in contact with people not nearly as high right now the one advantage that that both basketball and hockey will have is that that basketball is going to be in a bubble in orlando and hockey i believe and you can speak to this i believe is going to be in what toronto and edmonton it appears yeah so there's not going to be that travel around the country and you can say like oh well we're only playing divisional opponents and and you know in the al east and nl east or whatever division you're in but i mean that's still a trip to florida for the phillies uh you know whether that be in the form of tampa bay or miami so you're going to be going in and out of cities you're going in and out of separate environments and I don't know if I were a player what I'd be more concerned about face-to-face contact guys up in my grill as is I'm competing or am I more concerned about the travel component of it and, and I don't know which is more dangerous well, that's I'm what I'm saying sure I, the, I, I don't even I know, know these that. leagues know what's more dangerous but yeah, I, I, my guess is it's the travel it has to be the travel because this is this is where I think baseball screwed this up um the idea that you're going to open your players up to not only I mean okay, we can look at this through the, the lens of the NBA or the NHL. I don't really care because I think they both have done an okay job or their hearts were in the right places, but the execution's still going to be off. The NBA bubble is the same as the MLS bubble. They're both in Orlando. They're both at Disney, 
right? Neither league are requiring the hotel workers, the restaurant workers, the people that are going to be in the, in the arenas or out on the, on the fields. They're not requiring those workers or the support staff to stay in the bubble. So the whole concept of the bubble, at least in my opinion, kind of goes out the window to some extent. Because, like, again, if, if the thought here is that professional athletes are going to distance themselves from everybody they care about or their friends or whatever for three to six months and not go off on a, on a gallivanting expedition one night, are, are we really to believe that multimillionaire athletes are going to go back to their Disney World hotel and lock themselves in a room only to come out for the next day's practice. Do we really believe that? Do you? I certainly don't. Do I think that some of these guys might wander off to a bar or a restaurant? Do I think that they might catch the eye of somebody who recognizes them? Perhaps they go off and they have a a moment with a stranger. Could it happen? Indeed, it could. And it's not just the NBA. The NHL is going to be in that same predicament as well. I mean, they might be a little bit better off because they're in Canada and two Canadian cities and Canadians kind of fall in line a little bit better with these things. They've done a better job of curbing the numbers and keeping the numbers down. But again, like if we think that these guys who are in these cities are just going to lock themselves in the room, I don't totally buy it. Now, I did have Colby Cohen from NBC Sports Philly, who's a Flyers analyst. He was on Snow the Goalie. We talked about it. He kind of rebuked that a little bit because he said nobody wants to be the the jackass who ruins the bubble or ruins the hub for everyone if you're an important player and you get covid now your team's chances have tanked that's one thing if you're the guy who like spreads it is asymptomatic doesn't know and all of a sudden 30 or 40 guys end up getting the illness and now those teams are effectively disqualified from continuing you might totally derail the entire you know league's process even in confined things like that, there's stress. And now what MLB has done is say, we're going to take that and we're going to multiply it many times over by exposing people to uh, chartered buses, chartered planes, airport staff, different hotels, all of which, by the way, I believe are going to be open to the public. Am I, maybe I'm incorrect in which hotels would be available. I, I, I'm, like- I'd be lying to you if I told you exactly if I knew how the travel accommodations are going to go down. I, I actually do not know like, that. Um, all of that is so stressful. Even being on a chartered flight, those yeah. pilots, are those pilots quarantined like the rest of the players are supposed to be? Like there are so many variables to this that Major League Baseball has just kind of for whatever reason, turn a blind eye to and like the likelihood of, of things going sideways. I think like there, there's a pretty decent chance. Well, to speak to one of the things that you just talked about, I think one of the, the variables this year more than ever is going to be the locker room and how guys not just get along. I'm not talking about camaraderie or, you know, how close knit a group is. I'm talking about the amount of respect and the amount of care that goes into this thing. Like one of the things that we heard both Bryce Harper and Zach Wheeler talk about over the weekend was that so far they feel safe. So far they feel like what the Phillies have done at Citizens Bank Park and at FDR Park, uh, where the other location is that they're training at right now, that they feel that it's smart, it's well thought out, that it's it's been well executed. And so that's fantastic. You know, Wheeler said that he feels it's a good group of guys mostly everybody in almost every situation is doing the right things. And, and to him, it seems to be particularly important, obviously, because, you know, he seems to be pretty health conscious to begin with. And then he has the pregnant wife at home. So that's all part of it. What I'm interested to know is what happens when your teammate has the mentality of Roy Oswald 
who tweeted earlier, and you guys may remember Roy Oswalt, former Phillies legend from that glorious 2011 team that got bounced in the uh, divisional round by the St. Louis Cardinals. Uh, let the guys play. Quit coming up with stupid rules like no spitting. If you're scared, stay home. If you are not, strap it on. Hashtag MLB. And so I guess what I'm wondering is um, how many guys feel the way that Roy Oswalt feels? My guess is at least some. And then to what degree will that impact team dynamics, team chemistry dynamics? And my guess is quite a bit. And I think that the teams that have the most players on the same page that respect one another, that don't have views that make their teammates feel uncomfortable or could potentially jeopardize their health, which is really the issue here. Um, I think that those teams in the long run are probably going to be the most successful. Uh, I, I, Roy Oswald's tweet uh, caught my attention, man, because I, I do wonder about the dynamics of the locker room and how things are going to work in that regard. I just want to picture Roy Oswald right now. One, tweeting, and two, using a hashtag. I feel like he was spitting tobacco into a can or something, into an empty no. Poland Spring no. water bottle yes. as, he, as he tweeted that. Yeah. Yes, he's spitting it back into the crushed-up <laughs> water yeah. bottle. Yes. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, I, I think that I, that's going to be critically important as we, as we go on here. Well, I guess it kind of comes down to continuity of roster at that point, right? Because – a team that's returning, like, let's say 85, 90% of their roster, at least of their meaningful players, you know where your teammates line up politically. You know where they line up on this kind of stuff. You've likely had group chats going through the entire quarantine. If you have that one teammate or those two teammates or three teammates that are all kind of like denying the science or, or think that this is all overblown for whatever reason, you at least know that. And you know how to interact with those guys, right? If one of those guys happens to be a new signing to a new team, God help you. Because the, the kinds of conversations that you're going to have to have as a team to just try to get on the same page might be an insurmountable hurdle. I mean, truly. Like if, if Roy Oswalt, if this is 20, I don't know, say it's 2011, fine. You're going into the season. Everybody's hunky-dory. We know how Roy Oswalt is versus, hey, we just acquired Roy Oswalt at the trade deadline. Oh, and now there's a pandemic going on. And he goes into like Mike Trout, that coward's locker room. And now all of a sudden, Roy Oswalt's like, nah, this is, this is all nonsense. And they're like, this isn't, no, no, it's not nonsense. Now all of a sudden you have infighting because you know inevitably some people that you thought were friends are going to be your foes. Like to me, it's more about how much of your roster came back because you know how to deal with, with people that are going to have dissenting opinions. That, so you're, again, so you're saying in this way, it's actually a good thing that Matt Klintak didn't do that much to, to make outside upgrades to a mediocre Yeah, roster. by doing practically <laughs> nothing, he might have actually said... It, it is funny, though. Like If you think about the things that we've talked about... That's so called far. addition by inaction. Yeah. Ooh, yeah. that's a shirt. Yeah. Too bad Crossing Broad doesn't make shirts yeah. anymore. Yeah. Um, you know, if you think about it, though, like the conversation that we've had so far on this show, most of the things haven't been on about, about the on field product it's been about the human element and the things that surround the team and that's the 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 set of variables that you can't prepare for and that's like the thing that like if you go over to DraftKings Sportsbooks our good friend you know like you go over there the Phillies are plus 325 to win the division right they're probably not going to but like what's to say a few injuries don't happen what's to say that a few things don't go sideways with interactions between teammates and and guys walking away from their teams, you know, if there's an influx or, or an uptick in uh, COVID cases in some of these towns, like 
there are so many things that you can't plan for. This might not be a season that's based on talent. It really might just come down to a team that can click and a team that just kind of figures out a way to win and to band together and become like a hockey team. Like that I, really I might be the you. way to do it. And I agree with you. The 60, the 60 game season, I think makes that partly true in and of itself. But then you, you combine the situation and all the exterior factors into this. It leads me back to something that I've been saying. Um, and I actually, I did a spot last week on WIP and, and this is one of the things. Sure, sure. <laughs> How about that little drop? Um, but one of the things I said was that I think that the key factor to this entire season may not be bullpen uh, depth or, you know, the way that your starting rotation is set up or the depth of your lineup. I think it may be the teams that are on the same page. It may be the teams that are the most disciplined. It, it, the guys that care the most about saying we need to take every last measure possible and that's within our control to try to keep ourselves healthy because the teams, and I know that this is like the cardinal rule of sports and it is so trite to say this, but the team that stays healthiest in this season is likely going to be the team that gets the furthest. And, and I think it's more true in this condensed 60 game sprint than it is in any other sport in any other year. However, and this is the thing that concerns me and oh I do fear for the players and like, not that I, you know, I'd be lying. I, I'm not like Mr. Player representative guy. Like I, I felt that the players shared some responsibility for this catastrophe that, that played out over the last couple months with the owners and the labor negotiations. So I'm not Mr. Pro player, but I do worry because of what I just said, that if the wrong guy on the wrong team tests positive, as we go into this season, team jumps out to a 16 and five start. They're well positioned to make a, a postseason run and he tests positive. How are we as fans going to react to that? How are we as media going to react to that? And I know that we may not even know. I mean that because of Major League Baseball's privacy rules and, and the, the laws, the HIPAA laws that are at play here, we may not even know if the guy's positive or not. He may have just come in contact with somebody that was. Fine. But are we going to stigmatize that? Are we going to say that person was reckless? That person was careless? How dare they? get sick how dare they jeopardize this team's season like or, or have we known and learned enough about the coronavirus to this point do many of us have a friend a relative somebody that we know that came down with this who we thought was doing the right things are we informed enough to know that like hey we probably should not blame this person chances are they weren't at a pool party out on lake michigan with 600 people around them they may have just gotten it like i I am fascinated to see how we consume and digest this news as it, unf as it unfolds. I mean, in a perfect world, nobody would get sick, right? Like, and that goes without saying, but I think the reality of the situation is people are going to get sick. How are we going to view these people as it happens? Well, I think a lot of it depends on the sport. Because I, I think that given the, variable, the, the level of variance that exists by virtue of the amount of places that these players are going to be traveling to for baseball, uh, if a guy tests positive, I think the onus does fall on the player to be the one to come out and say, like, I tested positive and that I've followed all the guidelines, but I still tested positive. And Major League Baseball might not be thrilled with that because then it's going to cause an entire, you know, war within the fan base and with Twitter and, and every other social media platform that like, see, we shouldn't have, you know, demanded these guys come back. 
Well, the, that this take's guy, out there. That take guy, is out there, and it's yeah. out there strongly right now. There are a lot of sure. people, a lot of baseball observers saying, like, this is wrong. We shouldn't do this. Yeah. Uh, I can't believe we're doing this. It feels sick. Like, I, personally, well, hold on. Let personally, me, I feel like that's a little bit hyperbolized. Um, let me point but, this out, though. Like, this is the thing that pisses me off about sports media. You and I both do this as, like, a, as, a, as a side thing. It's enjoyable. We like it. We enjoy the access. Build rapport with players. It's great. Take it seriously, yeah. It's great. Sports media people whose entire job it is to go down and do the things that fans have been seeing, have been reading, have been watching. When that is your only job and you've spent months trying to create blog posts that you've criticized blogs for doing for years, including paid subscription sites that have like scoffed at such things, but are now like rolling out the top 10 moments in this franchise's history because you need to try to justify the clicks and the, and the subscriptions and paying your people. Your writers and your media folks need to hope that these sports happen because you should want a job. If you're a TV anchor, if you're a sports analyst that exists on TV, you don't have a job right now. You should want the sport to come back. So like the, the gloom and doom people that exist in the media drive me nuts because you can make it very clear how you feel. But then at the same time, you should also not be actively rooting against it because you should in some way, shape, or form be hoping that your livelihood is still there. You can't come back after like doing months and months and months of trying to like justify your job right on the precipice of the, of the season starting to come back, start to say, oh, this is immoral. What the hell are you going to do? Like, what's your plan for the next few months? You can't then like cry when your job gets eliminated and then say to the people, well, I was trying to do the right thing. No, there's no time for that. Like the sport is almost back. Do your job. Don't complain about it. And yes. by the way, sports reporters don't have to be there. I'm not allowed down there. Hockey reporters are not. Basketball, they just said, is going to be $550 a day for the first tier of national outlet reporters who go down to the bubble for the NBA. I have no idea what MLS is. You're able to go down there, but nobody is requiring you to be there. And by the way, like truthfully, you can speak to this better about like what the access is to the players at this point, but like most of the leagues, the, the entire reason for having the access to build that rapport and to get off the record comments from players and to really, you know, start to get a better idea of what's going on in the locker room. Nobody's doing that because right. nobody has that access unless you've built enough rapport with these players that you've got their, you have, you know, a way to contact them and to continue to cultivate those sources we're all on the same level playing field, at least through the, you know, through the seasons that are, that are trying to, you know, get started in baseball's case or get finished in the other leagues cases. So that's where I'm at with this. All right. Let me, let me address a couple different things you said, because I'm, I'm mostly with you. There are a couple things that I would question or I would just say like, is, is this how you mean it? Um, and I, I would just ask you to re-clarify. When you talk about sports media people, they should want the sports to be played because there's a direct correlation between the games happening and their jobs existing. And I understand that. I don't have an issue though with someone saying, I don't believe that this should be happening. I, I don't believe that it's safe. Like I, it, to, in a way, like I don't, I don't think that they're necessarily trying to be noble in, in presenting that take. Like, look, I'm, I'm so righteous that, the hand that feeds me, I'm, I'm going to bite it because I think it's for the best. Like, I, I think that you're allowed to feel like, Hey, I cover baseball, but I don't believe baseball should happen. But there are 
there is this group of people that that exist in the media, and I'm not going to name names, and I, I don't want to like single anyone out. Do it, you coward! Uh, I know that's a snow the goalie thing. You guys can do that. Yeah. But there are these people out there that are just like, baseball is bad. This should not happen. This is just so awful. And you're like, how about we just see? Like, if if it gets to a point where we have hundreds of cases and it just gets out of hand, then we can reassess it. But getting baseball off the ground, attempting to play the games at this point, I, I can't, I can't fault the league for that. And like, I'm not going to sit here and say it's bad. It's wrong. And not just because I like baseball and I want to be entertained. That's not the issue. I I think that these sports and, and these leagues and these players understand that yes, like this country could use something I don't even want to use the word distraction, but just something else to talk about, something else to turn their attention to. Um, and, and that's not to, to say, like, let's ignore the reality of what's going on in our country right now. Like, there are very important issues that deserve a ton of attention. And, and I'm, what I'm saying is not to dilute the attention away from those things, but the country could use a little bit of a pick-me-up. And we are at a critical point in our country, no matter where you stand politically, this is a time where I think actually athletes and sports leagues might help cultivate conversations that need to be had, but that's an entirely separate issue. My thing is I don't see any harm in trying to get the sports off the ground. If it becomes an unmitigated disaster, abort mission, and like that's what you have to do. But I think if you pull the majority of people in this country, they tell you that they would like to see the games played, and I just don't know what the end game of is being public and saying this shouldn't happen. It's a disgrace. Like what? Like what are we doing? And that, that's kind of my take. And I think that you and I are, for the most part, on the same page with that. In the same way that practically no league is forcing a player to show up to go to work this season, there should not be a single news outlet that's holding the proverbial gun to the head of the reporter to go. And yeah, like, so, like I, like, I think it's fair to, to say, like, I don't think this is a good idea and here's why. But, like, I've seen enough reporters getting really, really snarky on Twitter where it's, like, very clear that they're trying to subtweet the league that they cover or the team they cover for right. not doing a good enough job. And, like, that to me is, like, where it kind of crosses because it's fine to say that, like, I conceptually think this is a bad idea because of the – potential for a mass outbreak in the league and then we're looking at you know questioning when sports are going to get back and could the blow of these leagues getting shut down because of hey they're despite the nba being in a bubble there's been a massive COVID outbreak what does that mean for the rest of the country does that mean that this is a whole lot more infectious and then all of a sudden you create a secondary panic because these things that are supposed to be working in utopian situations aren't working anymore i think like you're we're kind of like in a weird spot because sports should in theory be able to provide that kind of an outlet for people and a little bit of a distraction like you said but i do think that there is the other side of this that if they fall through and if enough of these leagues have to cancel their plans like midway through the potential damage that that can do to the mental psyche of the the nation is almost almost more problematic and is almost worse than any of the positive that can come back with these leagues coming back, if that makes sense. Yeah, I, I can't speak to what other uh, news outlets are doing and what their policies are in terms of making people be at games, you know, and, and obviously access across different sports yields different, you know, different rules and protocols. 
I can only speak to what we do at Crossing Broad. Like, I am not required to be there. I do not have to go to uh, Citizens Bank Park. I opted on my own to go on Friday. I thought that it was um, important to, to kind of understand uh, what it looked like on the field. I thought it was important to kind of understand uh, the way that things were going to be structured. So I took the chance, the risk, whatever you want to call it, and going down there. I, I will say this. I give a ton of credit to how the Phillies did it. Um, I, I think uh, – that they were kind of adapting on the fly. And I think that they did a, a nice job, at least, you know, certainly in the media, from the media standpoint and keeping people separated that, that wanted to be separated, uh, you know, sanitized and, and having access to hand sanitizers and things like that. So I commend the Phillies from that, that aspect. One of the things that you said I, I found to be pretty interesting is that unless you've previously built up a rapport with players or people within the organization, there really is no point in being down there now. Now, I would tell you that when you, and I don't know how you feel about hockey, but you sit at the press box at Citizens Bank Park, sometimes you can just see things unfold on the field that you probably wouldn't be able to see if you were sitting at home watching on television. So I do think that if you're a baseball writer, there is some value in seeing it and taking it all in. If you're and I'm not picking on the guy, but if like you're Jeff Skaversky and you're you're reading the news at 11 o'clock, like do you need to be in the press box? No. If if you're a, a radio talk show host, like if this was our sole purpose, like if I just did this podcast or I was a radio host, do I need to be at Citizens Bank Park to watch the games? I, I honestly don't think so. I, I don't think that that lends itself to bettering the experience for the listener on the airwaves. So there is a little bit of a reason to be at the games, but when it comes to actually getting information from the players, it's all being done through Zoom. And I imagine that it's going to be like this with other sports as well, but Phillies make people available via Zoom calls. You could be sitting in your basement. You could be sitting in your kitchen, bedroom, wherever. I've seen some pretty interesting setups over the last couple of days from different writers. Um, and, and you can ask what you need to ask right through the Zoom call. And so from a player access and accessibility standpoint, being at the stadium is is a waste of time in that regard. Um, I want to so, get back. Well, I want to get back to the Zoom call in a second because I have thoughts <laughs> on this. But um, hey, thanks for doing this. Yeah, like, yeah. Can, can we like? Jeez. Can we stop with that, please? Oh, hey, hey, Joe Girardi, thanks for doing this. Like, just stop. It's, it's almost as job. bad as it's like his the, job the people talk who call, to the media. Like, the people who call sports talk radio. It's like, hey, uh, hey, how's it going? Uh, love the yeah, show. You know what? Like, love, I, I love the show. That. It's like, I excuse no, that no. because. Because they're nervous. Like, it's, no. it's nerve-wracking to be on the radio for the Talk first Talk to yourself while. in the mirror for a little bit before you call the radio. Yeah. Yeah, you know? Yeah. Um, no, but, like, with, with the, uh, the Zoom calls, like, we were getting them a lot in the beginning of the quarantine on the hockey side of things. And it was the same, like, six questions. It was driving me nuts. And the first time it happened, I sat back and I was like, all right, I'll, I'll deal with this. Like, maybe it'll get better next time. Then the second one happened, and I'm like, it's the same six questions again. It's the same people asking the same questions. And it's like, you know, for the Flyers, it was like, oh, well, what does Kevin Hayes bring to the locker room? Hey, we were down there for 60 games. 68 yeah. games. Yeah. <laughs> you had months to ask that question. Nothing's changed. Why are you asking it? It doesn't matter. So I started like hijacking the Zoom calls, asking like, hey, what are you watching? <laughs> playing games? What games are you playing? Oh, you read like just give me anything different. Like anything that's different. And like the thing is that like some of these people have never really had to think on on their feet. So they don't do well with adapting. Um I don't ask a lot. Um in fact, like on these Zoom calls, I haven't asked much at all. 
Um, and, and part of it, I'll be honest with you. It, it's a conversation I don't even have mind having on the show. I'm new, you know, and like, I just, I'm still, I'm still feeling my way through it a little bit. I'm not so new that I'm at the point where like, I feel uncomfortable asking a question, but I sit back and I go, Hey, these are some bullet points that I have. These are things that I, I kind of want to know about if they get addressed. Great. If they don't, I'll jump in. And, and I give credit to most of the, the Phillies writers. They do a nice job. Like, and I'm not going to sit here and name them all and say like, Oh, he's the best. Great questions. But Phillies beat is better than the Flyers beat. Though. I would, I would say I'm gathering that. Uh, yeah. I, I think that the Phillies beat does a pretty nice job and, and there's a lot of talented writers there, but like, even to what you're talking about questions about Kevin Hayes, I'm like, how many different ways can we talk about the DH? Like the DH is coming to the NL, right? Like, Hey, uh, Joe, what do you, what do you plan to do with the DH? Well, we plan to give everyday position players a little bit of a rest. So we're going to use guys like Bryce and JT in there. And uh, obviously Jay Bruce is a bat. Like we knew the answer to that. We've asked that question. We, we already knew the answer to that. And like, it's been asked like three different ways so far this week. And it's like, what, what else do you want about the DH? Who cares? Like, Stop in asking light of, questions. In light yeah. of everything, like I understand like the need to be different, but like in light of everything else going on right now, like are we really worried about how the bats are going to be delineated at the DH spot right now? Like maybe like let's get to July 24th first. Like we know how they're going to use the DH. So well, it's stuff like that, you know? And then like I said, it's, a, it's annoying, thanks, but thanks for doing this. Thanks well, for doing this. And, you know what? I I will go back to one of the things that you asked before, though. Like the the idea of like being down there. Now I mentioned that player sources are or or you know having the report players is important. You could make the case that being down there is good because if if you have an organizational source or multiple, those are people that you might want to talk to. Those are those are people that might have team supplied communication devices that makes it a little bit hard for them to give you the the real dirt that might be going around in the organization because it could be monitored or, or pulled. Um, so the, that's like one aspect when you talk about like actually seeing the game unfold, like, so I've covered obviously like the flyers. And then last year I did like a few games to the Philadelphia union and I was supposed to have the full season credential this year, which is not going to be used, but like to watch those games unfold. Yeah. Like there's so much that you can pick up on by sure. watching the play, like, especially with, with the flyers, you're up in the highest level where the press box is and like watching the game unfold on TV, you're so limited to like a third of the ice, give or take, versus when the whole thing's going on, you see the odd man rushes starting to set up. You see which guys aren't hustling to the bench. You can hear the coaches yelling, even despite tens of thousands of people losing their minds at any given moment. The soccer side of things, like same general concepts, but like you can see the plays developing. You can see which guys are, are really busting it and which guys are responsible for a defensive lapse and, and the counterattack going the other way. Like you can pick up on so much more of that if that's the kind of approach you take in your writing. If you're somebody who has a better tactical mind for the game you're covering, then like that's essentially affirmation of what you think based on the systems that you know the coaches are trying to Versus like if you're somebody who goes down and covers a team because your whole thing is based around like here are the people like here are the players who had the hits in the game. Here are the basic stat lines and then here are a couple of quotes like AP style right. Right. If you're somebody who tries to like take the game on in a little bit more of a specific manner then being down there does matter a little bit more for sure. you, for somebody who understands the game of baseball coaches, baseball has played baseball and like has a very solid mind for the game and the rationale of why a player might do something in a specific moment. You can be there, experience it, 
see how the opposition has lined up against this player, get a general idea of like what you think this guy was, was doing, entering the at-bat, how he might have adapted or changed or maybe steps away from the plate. Is it a mind game? And you can build an entire article around that. And then when you get to these Zoom calls with the stupid, useless you know, questions from the same antiquated human beings asking them, you can ask that specific question because your brain is focused on that one thing and by the way by asking that question you're not giving away to any of the other reporters what you're doing because not a single person in that press box probably has an idea what you're doing so like that's like a little bit of the behind baseball of like why the access matters and like the lack of quality that you might see from some people in a lot of the different sports you could see and i think this is a bigger thing like i think you're gonna see the quality of writing from a certain subset of writers deteriorate pretty quickly because they won't have the same kind of access to that pipeline of information. That's, that's an interesting point. And I, I wonder about that myself in general, my belief is that you don't need access to be a good writer. Um, I think that there are a ton of really good baseball writers, writers across all sports that don't have credentials. Credentials do not make you a good writer. Uh, but if you live and die by the narrative and the inside scoop and, and that access, and like, that's how you do your job. Like you said, it, I think it's going to really throw a wrench into things as, as this moves forward. And, the thing I wonder about is right now we have access. I don't know if we're going to have access in three weeks. Like it's, we talk about this being a fluid situation and so unpredictable, but like I wouldn't be entirely shocked if two weeks from now that major league baseball has to alter their protocols or certain teams, depending on which States they're located in and, and ge geographically speaking, where the hotspots are, if they're going to have to alter their access. Like, I mean, I could see a situation in which it becomes right now, I believe it's 35 is the number I want to say, but I could see a situation where it's like, listen, we have to go with like legacy media and team employees. And like, that's it. Like, could it get to that? Maybe point? they'll rotate a few non legacy. Yeah. Or go like, like, like in every other game. Yeah. yeah. And I, I don't know. I mean, I, we're just going to have to wait and see, but um, it's, it's interesting. And so well, pull, pull back this curtain for a second though, for the people listening though, like have they gone over what the game day protocol is going to be like for Bob Wankel, who goes down to watch the Phillies waste their time against the Miami Marlins. Like what does that actually <laughs> look like for you? You get there. You mentioned there's the, the scanner for your temperature that presumably allows you to enter what you actually would have to enter yeah, then what it's, happens? Uh, like, it's a what? shade over a hundred degrees. So if you if you come in and you check in over a hundred point, I don't know it off the top of my head, but I think it's like one hundred point six. Uh, you're not permitted in. So what happens is you go in through the media entrance, you come up. Uh, instead of walking the lower level concourse to the uh, normal press elevator, now you get on an elevator immediately uh, upon walking into the building, or you go out the doors and you take steps up to the upper concourse, and then you walk across to the Hall of Fame club, and through the Hall of Fame club, you go into the press box. Instead, before you could kind of, they have designated seats for, for people that are full season, uh, have full season credentials, but they also have like a, you know, hey, sit here, it's open. Well, now it's spaced out in a manner where you really, you, you can't just pick a spot or pick an open spot. They're obviously not serving food anymore. Whereas that, that used to be a delightful experience. The ice cream. There's no food. No, can't serve food. Uh, they're, they're taking that element out of it. You can bring your own food in. Okay. Um, wow. 
And, you know, like I said, they limit the amount of people in the press box. Uh, you can be there, I believe, four hours before first pitch, if I'm not mistaken, which isn't all that different than what it usually would be. But there's obviously no locker room access. There's no on-field dugout access, which was a staple of, of every team up until a year ago or this year, I should say. And then you have to be out of the stadium one hour, I believe, after the final interview is uh, conducted via Zoom. So, like, there are some strict protocols in place before where it was like, you know, hey, a little bit more free reign. So, it's, it's a different experience that way for sure. And it's going to complicate issues for certain writers. Like, I could see this year guys taking their high, uh, Wi-Fi hotspots from their cell phones and finishing their stories out in their, their cars in the parking lot, out in, out in the media lot after the game this year because – certain guys just don't get it done that quickly. So that element of it, I think is going to be a little bit different as well. That's a, a really fascinating kind of look like, uh, I'm like, I, I don't know how many people typically stay behind after games, after Phillies games for an extended period. I know that like on the hockey side of things, a lot of guys end up spending an extra hour, hour and a half, two hours after we get done doing the, you know, the scrums around the players and the coach and everything. Um, where there are, there are nights that people don't leave Wells Fargo Center until after midnight. Yeah. Is it like that? Yeah, like in a, in a normal year, um, my experience was usually uh, – you had your guys that would bounce right after the last pitch. You'd have your guys that would bounce after the last interview was conducted down in the clubhouse. Certain guys would hang around for an hour, hour and a half after the game. I mean, if a game ends at 11 o'clock, by the time you conduct your interviews and everything, maybe it's 11.30, 11.45 – um, and then you come up and you're walking out of the stadium at 1245 at night. You know, it's, it's, it's kind of a, it's kind of cool to be honest with mm-hmm. you. Like it's just a, a different vibe. Uh, it's the vibe that we're going to see at every game this season now. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it, that's, that's typically the way it goes. It just depends what your job is, what type of pieces you produce. Certain guys are masters of by the time the eighth or ninth inning rolls around, they can set up their stories in a way that no matter how the game finishes, they have the bulk of their text done. Um, and then certain guys like to kind of just let it all unfold and, and start from scratch. So it really depends, I guess, if you're on a deadline, who you're writing for, what your job is. But there you Interesting. go. Yeah. So before we get out of here, uh, because I don't know, maybe we're going to do another episode together. I'm not, I'm not entirely sure. Uh, but I, I, I guess I know you don't love baseball. I know you used to love baseball, or at least you say that you uh, used to love baseball. What is your sense about this season? I'm not going to ask you if you think the Phillies are going to win the NL East because who cares? Because we don't know because we don't even know what these rosters are going to look like in three weeks from now, let alone a month and a half from now. So I think that's a a futile exercise. However, are you of the belief that this is going to be the season with an asterisk or that the outcome truly doesn't matter or that not even the fans won't care, but people that care about baseball, are they going to look at this season and say, like, this was stupid. We didn't need to do this. Like, it just doesn't count the same as it does all of those other years. I think a lot of it comes down to, and, and I really appreciate you, uh, you know, pointing out that I despise the game of baseball. Uh, you don't despise it. You're a Well, I think my hatred really is more of the league itself. And, like, I think the players did themselves a disservice. I think the whole when and where thing was a total – botched marketing plan it was total bs and i thought the trevor bauer coming out after the fact and saying oh we were just hoping that they were going to mandate a season and tell us where and when it's like no that's bs you were hoping that the fans are going to get behind you and get a hashtag going and you were going to apply pressure like let's be honest here don't lie people right. aren't stupid um i think that most of these sports are going to be in a position where we're going to look back on it and say this was weird 
but I don't know if it's necessarily an asterisk. Like if you have a season that has a lockout, right. And it's an abbreviated season. You don't necessarily look back on it and say like, that's a fraudulent championship. Right. I think the thing that's different here between how meaningful or, or how much, you know, fans think that this is a meaningless um, championship being awarded really comes down to the, the quality of baseball because like for the NBA, for, for the NHL, like you were about to wrap up your season and then this giant curveball was thrown your way. And now you're, you're pretty much, I mean, with the NHL, you're starting with the round, the playoffs, the play or eight regular season games. And then you're jumping into the playoffs. There's a certain level of like, you know, a team that was hot, like the Flyers, maybe could have won a Stanley Cup because they were, they were, they were carrying so much momentum and they were playing their, their best hockey of the year. You have injuries that have you know, happened to other teams. And like, there's a certain set of expectations of like what would have happened. And then you throw this multi-month break in, in the middle and like parody can ensue, insanity can happen, and like the whole thing can blow up and the best teams might get eliminated early because nobody's really ready. And I think like for those leagues, maybe it's a, it's a bigger issue there because it's, it's a comparison of like what would have happened if the momentum of the season had continued. I think with baseball, because they hadn't started yet, I think this is an easier time to sit back and say, okay, like this is kind of a real thing. You're still getting 60 games in. I don't necessarily think that the way they're doing it, having you only play like the NL East and the AL East is, is necessarily fair. I think this is a grinder. I don't think that this is indicative of uh, uh, a fair and balanced way to, to do the schedule. Um, I do think that like everybody's got the same set of, of, of circumstances surrounding them. And like barring there just being a huge number of players that get taken out of the game because of COVID and like real star players are out and like you start seeing more guys kind of question. You see cowards like Mike Trout say, oh, I don't know if I really want to play. You see guys who are, you know, expecting a child like Zach Wheeler. Like, I don't know if you start seeing real top end talent in, in massive droves being forced out or opting out, then it's an asterisk season. If, if for the most part, the games kind of unfold how they should there aren't that many injuries and like, it feels kind of like a normal season, then I think you're fine. I don't think it's an asterisk. So the way I look at this is regardless of who plays, who opts out, who gets sick. If, if you're a rival, a fan of a rival team, you'll probably discredit ultimately the championship one. Like if you're a Red Sox fan and the Yankees win it, you'll, you'll try to take something off of it. Right. But the way that I look at this, at least from a local standpoint, is the amount of obstacles that a team that goes on to win this championship is going to have to overcome. I mean, someone's going to get sick. There's going to be injuries. There's going to be setbacks. I think that it has a chance to really capture the imagination. These teams have a chance to capture the imaginations of cities. I think that cities and fans will be able to rally around these teams. You say like, Just look at the Phillies. Just look at what the Phillies have dealt with right off the bat. Like, Zach Wheeler will miss time. Aaron Nola might miss time. Scott Kingery might miss time. They had their they were the first team to have their 
you know, spring training facility or their training facility in Florida shut down. There's probably going to be other obstacles that they're going to have to navigate and overcome if they're to win. So now take that and then just go across any team in the league. They're going to have to overcome so much. It's going to be so difficult to grind through this schedule and win that I think that fans are going to love these teams by the time they get to those championship rounds. And, you know, not only that, I, I think that the competitiveness of the game is going to be different. A 60-game sprint, everybody's in it as we start here at the end of July. I think that that makes it extraordinarily compelling. I just think all of the nuances and variables to this that are so different than they've been in the past is going to make it, A, interesting. And I just think that, like, I always look at it. And, like, let's just say it's game six of the 2020 World Series and the Phillies are in it. Just dream with me for a moment. And they're playing the New York Yankees, okay? And, and Bryce Harper steps up in the Phillies trail, 4-2 in the, in the bottom of the eighth of game six. Two men on, two outs. And Bryce Harper launches a 429-foot home run into empty blue seats of Citizens Bank Park to give the Phillies a one-run lead in the clincher. You don't think that this city is going absolutely out of its mind? You don't think that baseball fans across the country are going, holy shit, you know, and, and that's what I come back to. And so at the end of the day, I don't think it matters that it's 60 games. I don't think that the strife between the players and owners matters. Um, I, I still expect whoever wins and whichever team it may be, especially if it were here in Philadelphia, I think that those teams are going to get uh, all the glory that a normal champion would as well. Well, I think the only way that, that you really get an asterisk on the season is... Is if you it, uh, have a video feed of the team's opposing signals in your dugout? No, that's not a big deal. Um, Banging trash cans? I think if you get to a point like in the World Series where three, four guys get hurt or go out, then you get an asterisk. Yeah, like, I, I could see. I agree with the, that. The question, the question has come up because like last year's NBA Finals, Kawhi Leonard leads the Toronto Raptors past the Golden State Warriors. But... Kevin Durant tries to make a miraculous comeback. Terrace is, he ruptures his Achilles. Clay Thompson misses significant time. You didn't really beat a full stacked Golden State Warriors team, right? There have been questions of like, is that an asterisk? One, on that championship and, and two, on the Warriors as a whole. Like, does that count against them because they had such bad, you know, catastrophic injuries at the end of the season? That to me is like the only place the asterisk exists. Otherwise, like, baseball's kind of set up in a way that like it should mean something i think it'll be okay i actually think that baseball could be okay i'm gonna after, take that that's a great point to end i'm in that's about as positive you're, as you're going to get on the game of baseball so i'm ending it right there uh listen let me let me kick it over to you though for the uh for the promos and the rundown you excel at this so i, I just want to make sure you, you typically cover the ads is there anybody that we have to to thank or uh hit on here before we uh, get out well, I mean, I guess we could really briefly uh, thank our friends over at DraftKings Sportsbook. Use the promo code CROSSINGBROAD when you sign up because uh, they've got some great promos running all the time. So you can read what Big Bet Bob says over on CrossingBroad.com. But again, if you go over at DraftKings.com, use the promo code CROSSINGBROAD, one word, sign up, take advantage of some fantastic deposit bonuses. And uh, listen, I'm just going to throw this out there. There are some really great things. Uh, I really wish that Kyle Scott had a brain uh, about him with the uh, European soccer today. I, you know, I should have tweeted it. I feel bad that I didn't. Real Madrid was losing with 20 minutes left in the game, 23 minutes left. And I put a thing in Slack. I said, yo, throw money on Real Madrid to win. Within two minutes, penalty drawn. Bingo, bango, bongo. Sergio Ramos, bottom corner, perfection. Tripled my money. Anyway, DraftKings Sportsbook, crossing broad. 
Uh, and also Cinch by Amerigas, C-Y-N-C-H.com. Cinch, baby. Gotta love Cinch. Cinch by Amerigas. They will bring a beautiful tank of propane out to your home. They'll take away that decrepit old one that's been sitting out in your shed, in your garage. And a lot of people say this. They're like, hey, I don't know, Russell. Will they take the one that's, uh, I think it might be like 30 years old. It might have a hole in the side. Will they take it? Yes, they will. Just maybe hide the hole. But t- put the old tank out front. <laughs> Use our promo code, It's Lit 5. It's Lit 5, one word. It's Lit 5. $10 is all they'll charge to bring a new full propane tank out to your home, take away the old one. For a $3 charge, they'll take it to your side door or even to your backyard. And hashtag contactless uh, delivery. You don't have to take that thing to the uh, convenience store. There you go. Those are the reads that maybe we should have that's done. Right. I don't know. We're, are, are they, yeah, that's know, why I kicked it over to you. you they're sponsoring. I don't know. Yeah. Any other podcasts that we need to know about on the Crossing Broad Podcast? Of course, Crossing Broad yeah. Podcast Network. Crossing Broad SC is going to be coming back at some point. Yeah. Um, it's always soccer in Philadelphia with Kevin Kincaid. I can tell you that uh, that show is going to be rolling because they've got the uh, the MLS restart is coming back. So if you're a soccer fan, you've got uh, It's Always Soccer in Philadelphia. And, uh, you know, Bob, maybe you and I will uh, pick up the mantle of Crossing Broadcast. Maybe we shouldn't let it die. Yeah, maybe. I, I heard that there's a rumor that that could be in the works, but I guess we'll see. We'll see we how could, that uh, We could talk about some sports over there. Um, we tend to like to talk about sports. And uh, we'll snow the goalie, the only Flyers podcast, the People's podcast, the Players podcast, Prognosticators podcast, Presidential podcast, PLA podcast, Pronger cast, Pampers podcast, the Prop cast, Knubel cast. Oh, it's all there. It's very impressive. It's the it's only Flyers impressive. podcast. Thank you for listening to Cross Up. We will be back later in the week. I have no idea who my co-host is going to be, but we're going to do it because I am sure that there is going to be plenty to talk about as things unfold down at Citizens Bank Park. Thanks again for listening. Be sure to follow us wherever you get your podcasts. Drop us a review and all that good stuff. See you later.